Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, The Spirit-Filled Life, in which we look at what the Bible says about the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the world and in our lives. Here is Pastor Nick. Well, today is Pentecost Sunday, and we're going to be talking about what that means and why it's so important. And this morning for Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, we're starting a new series. Now, this new series is related to the series that our last series, which was called The Risen Life, in which we spent the time after Easter looking at what Jesus did after he rose from the grave all the way up to his ascension and what his risen life tells us about what it means for us who have died to our sins in Jesus and been raised to new life in him, what his risen life means for us as we live the risen life. Well, this series is related to that. Starting on Pentecost today, we're starting a new series called The Spirit-Filled Life, in which we're looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit for the next five weeks. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. Lord, thank you that you have not left us as orphans, but Lord, you have sent us the helper that we need to help us in all the ways that we need. And Lord, this morning we pray that you would teach us from your word, give us receptive hearts, or give us minds to understand, hearts to receive, and respond to what your word says to us today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was January of 2002, and I was on a train rolling towards Budapest, Hungary. I was 18 years old. I had never been on my own before in my life, but I had accepted an invitation to move to Debrecen, Hungary, on the eastern side, on the eastern border of Hungary, as a missionary. Now, I didn't speak Hungarian. I didn't have a phone, and I didn't have any way to communicate with anyone. And I was on my own for the first time in my life, and I had come to this foreign country where I did not speak their language with the hopes of telling people there about Jesus. But at this point, I couldn't even do basic things for myself in this place, much less help out anybody else. Now, I knew that as soon as I arrived in Budapest, I needed to change train stations. So as soon as this train arrived, I would need to change train stations, which meant I would need to traverse this, you know, huge and to me completely unknown city where I didn't speak the language and I would need to buy tickets and get on the right train to get to my destination. Now, I had no idea how to do any of those things, but the church there had arranged for someone who lived in Budapest to meet me at the station and help me, which was good. But remember, it was 2002, so there's no social media, there's no Wi-Fi, we had no way of communicating. Like, a lot of people didn't have even cell phones at that time, and all I had was this promise that this guy's going to meet me at the station. All they told me, a South African guy is going to meet you at the train station when you get off the train, and he's going to help you which was good. So eventually, my train arrived in the station in Budapest. I got off carrying my backpack because that's all I moved there with was just a backpack. Not even like a a backpacking backpack. This is just like a normal backpack like you wear to school. That's all I had brought with me. And I, I stood on the platform and I looked around for this promised helper who was to come. 
But as I looked around, right, there's just people everywhere, just a sea of people hurrying in different directions. And I had no idea how I was supposed to find this person. I had no idea what they looked like. This person had come to help me. I didn't even know if he was there at all. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he got the day wrong. How would I know? Maybe he got in a terrible accident and died and he was never going to come. Or, or maybe he, he got confused and went to the other station instead. It was 2002. This is what we did back then. You just showed up places and in faith that people would actually be there. How am I supposed to find this guy? And how's he supposed to find me? Because in this huge mass of people, remember, he didn't know what I looked like either. So there I was on my own, totally helpless in the middle of winter. I don't have any Hungarian money. I don't have a phone. I don't have any way to call anyone that I know. What I really needed was a helper. Now, I, I never did actually find that person who had been sent to help me. I never found him. But I did eventually make my way by train to my destination. But in the process, I got ripped off by money changers. I got ripped off by corrupt taxi drivers who overcharged me and, and, uh, and ripped me off. I was lost. I was vulnerable. I had no idea what to do. I, I did eventually, by the way, meet that person who was sent there to help me that day. Uh, his name was Michael Payne, and he's the worship leader at a church in Budapest at the time, and now he lives here in Longmont, and he's our worship pastor. And, and by the way, he was there at the train station, but again, neither of us knew what the other one looked like. We must have walked right past each other, and it wasn't his fault. He, he, we didn't know what each other looked like, and there's so many people. But on that day, in that place, I really needed a helper. And that is exactly how Jesus' disciples must have felt right after he ascended into heaven. Because for the first time, they were completely alone. They were on their own. Up until that point, they had depended on Jesus to answer their questions, to give them direction, right? To do the things for them that they couldn't do for themselves. And now he's gone and he's ascended into heaven and they're completely on their own. And to make matters worse, right before Jesus had left, he told his disciples that it was up to them to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, Right? That's a pretty big job, right? Yeah, just, uh, you know, go into the world and make disciples of everybody, right? So it's a pretty big job. These guys, these guys don't even know how to take care of themselves, okay? Right? Half the time, they don't even understand what Jesus is talking about. And they, they don't even understand what he's even about. And now they're on their own, and they have to accomplish this incredible task that is way beyond any of their abilities or capabilities. And maybe some of you can relate to that feeling. Maybe you know what it feels like to be lost, or to be overwhelmed, or to feel like you don't have what it takes to do what needs to be done. Well, if that's you, then I've got good news for you today. The title of today's message is The Promised Helper. And here's what we're going to see in our text today. We're going to see that on Pentecost, the promised helper came to give birth to the church and to empower us to carry out God's mission in the world. Every week I give you a sentence. That sentence is not only our outline for studying the text, but it is just a one-sentence truth statement that is true about this text, the one-sentence summary. And I want to encourage you, write these down. In fact, write them down in one place every week, and you're going to eventually accumulate just these amazing truths every week as we study God's Word. And you're going to be remembering as you look at those sentences, the things that we studied each week. Take a picture, write it down, whatever you got to do, memorize it. This is our takeaway truth for this week. On Pentecost, the promised helper came to give birth to the church and 
to empower us to carry out God's mission in the world. So let's take that sentence and break it down as we study this passage today. First of all, on Pentecost. On Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 begins with these words. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, who's the they who were gathered together? These are Jesus' closest, committed disciples and followers. The previous chapter, chapter 1 of the book of Acts, tells us in verse 15 that on this day, there were 120 of Jesus' most committed followers who were there in Jerusalem, gathered together when this day of Pentecost came. Now, the word Pentecost, it simply means 50, because Pentecost is the 50th day after Passover. Now, you might remember that Jesus was crucified on Passover. He then resurrected from the grave three days later, and then we're told that for 40 days after his resurrection, he was here on the earth before he ascended into heaven. So if you do the math, what you find is that Jesus ascended into heaven about seven days before the day of Pentecost. So on this day of Pentecost, it's been about seven days since Jesus ascended into heaven. And these disciples and other followers of Jesus, they have been staying here together in Jerusalem. Remember, most of them are not from Jerusalem. They're from Galilee, which is pretty far away. So here they are in Jerusalem. They're staying together in like an Airbnb, right? They're hanging out and they're gathering together every day for the last seven days since Jesus ascended. And now the day of Pentecost has come. Now, Pentecost was a really big day for the Jewish people because Pentecost was the first day of the second most important feast in the Jewish calendar. So Pentecost was the first day of the second most important Jewish festival, which was called the Feast of Weeks. And the Feast of Weeks marked the end of the grain harvest. And on Pentecost, what would happen is the Jewish people would come from all over the country of Israel and also from all over the world, and they would come to present a wave offering, which means this. They would bring sheaves of wheat, like bundles of wheat, and they would come to Jerusalem, to the temple, to bring a wave offering, which is exactly what it sounds like. They'd take these sheaves of wheat, and they would wave them in the air as a way of saying thank you to God for providing for them food for the harvest for that year. So on Pentecost, the city of Jerusalem was packed with wall-to-wall people. Jews from all over the world were filling the city for this very important day. In fact, some historians would argue that there were more people in Jerusalem on Pentecost than on Passover because of the more favorable weather at the season of Pentecost. So the point is, there were a lot of people in Jerusalem at this time from all over, not only Israel, but from all over the world, Jews from everywhere. And so that brings us to the next part of our sentence. On Pentecost, the promised helper came. It says in verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this was the fulfillment of something that Jesus had promised them, had told them, was going to happen. See, the reason the disciples were in Jerusalem, not up in Galilee, where most of them were from, the reason they're in Jerusalem is because before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait until he would send them some help. Wait in Jerusalem until the help comes. During the Last Supper, 
Jesus had talked to his disciples and he had told them something that none of them wanted to hear. None of them were happy to hear this. What he told them is that the time had come for him to depart, for him to leave this earth and return to his father. And of course, that is something that none of them wanted to hear. But Jesus, he knew that, of course, and he told them this. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And he assured them, even though I am leaving, I will not leave you as orphans. But here's what I'm going to do, he told them. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, another helper to be with you forever. The word another, it's interesting because in the original language, the original text of the Bible, Greek text, that word is a unique word. It's the word alos, which means another, but of the same kind. So another, a different one, but of the same kind. So what Jesus was promising them is that he will send them someone else who is going to help them in all the same ways that he has been helping them. The helper, Jesus says, this helper who is to come, he is the spirit of truth. And he says, you know him already because he has been with you. He has been with you and he will be in you. Jesus could tell that his disciples, of course, they were crushed by this idea that they, they would not, they, they were crushed by the idea of living their lives without Jesus by their side. And so Jesus, of course, seeing that on their faces and knowing that, he said to them, I can see that sorrow has filled your hearts because of these things that I have said. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. Now, that would have been hard for them to believe or even comprehend. How could it possibly be better for them for Jesus to go away? And he explained. He said, here's why. Because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I wonder how many of you have ever wished, man, if I could have only lived back then, back then when Jesus was physically present on the earth, I could have heard his teachings. I could have seen him do miracles. It would have been so easy to believe. But Jesus says, you know what? It's actually better for you. Believe it or not, it is actually better for you that I go away. Because if I go away, I will send you the helper, the helper, the spirit of truth. He is not limited to one physical location. As we go from this place and we go to our various different homes, the good news is that this helper, the Spirit, will go with us to our homes, right? In other words, the Spirit can be with people in India and in Russia and in Colorado all at the same time. In order for Jesus' mission to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, it was necessary that Jesus depart physically and send another helper. And Jesus told them what this helper would do when he would come. He said this, when he comes, this helper, he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The helper, Jesus said, would also help them to accomplish this mission that he had given them to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. He said, the helper is going to come and he's going to help you accomplish that mission. And here's how. 
First of all, he's going to go before you and he's going to speak to people's hearts. and He's going to bring about conviction in their hearts about sin and righteousness and judgment. But the other way that he's going to help you accomplish this mission is by empowering you to do this thing that God has called you to do. He's going to empower you with the power you need to carry this out. And that's why Jesus told them. He said, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. So on the day of Pentecost, when those who were gathered together in that room, that upstairs room where they were gathered, they heard the sound of this rushing wind. They knew exactly what was happening. And you know why? Because the word for wind in both Greek and Hebrew is the same word as the word for spirit. It's the same word, wind and spirit. So as they heard this wind, they knew exactly that this is what we've been waiting for. This is what Jesus said would happen. But you know what? It wasn't only Jesus who had promised that this, this would happen, that the Holy Spirit would come in this new and unique way. This is something that had been prophesied long before by the prophets Joel and the prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Jeremiah. And so in Acts chapter 2, we read there that as this sound of this wind came, as the believers responded by worshiping God in these different languages, it was a ruckus. It was loud. It was noisy. And there they are in this upper room. The city of Jerusalem's packed. And so what happens? Down on the street below, people begin to gather. They begin to look up towards this room where this noise is coming from. What is going on up there? And so what happens? Peter he takes this opportunity. He opens the window and looks down on the crowd of people who have gathered below to see what's going on. And he begins to speak to them and address them. And he tells them, what you're hearing up here, this, this, all this noise, what's going on up here, this is the fulfillment of God's promise through the prophet Joel that in the last days God would pour out his spirit. So who is this helper? Who is this promised Holy Spirit? Well, if we look through the Bible, here's what we can know. Two things I want you to know about the Holy Spirit that we see in the Bible. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. And number two, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. Let's talk about each of those for a second. The Holy Spirit is a person. As opposed to saying that the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force, like gravity or centrifugal force, right? The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force by which God does things. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. And that's important because you can't have a personal relationship with uh, an impersonal force. But you can have a personal relationship with a person. And so the Bible tells us that the, the Holy Spirit is a person with whom we can have a relationship. Furthermore, the Bible tells us, just on this idea that the Holy Spirit is a person, that the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit has personal qualities. For example, the Holy Spirit has intelligence. The Holy Spirit knows things and thinks. The Holy Spirit, we're told, has a personal will. The Holy Spirit makes decisions, in other words. The Holy Spirit also has emotions. You can grieve the Spirit, and the Spirit expresses love. Furthermore, the, the Bible says, the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit in personal terms, as a person. For example, it says that people lie to the Holy Spirit. You, you don't lie to a potted plant, right? Why would you do that? But you lie to a person. So the Holy Spirit's a person. People lie to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit also does things that a person can do. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit strives. The Spirit intercedes. The Spirit guides. The Spirit works miracles. 
But you know what? Not only is the Spirit a person, but importantly, the Holy Spirit is God. That's what we see in the Bible. So sometimes people wonder, you know, is the Holy Spirit something other than God, like a, a force that God uses to accomplish things in the world? But the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, for example, has the attributes of God. For example, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, everywhere at the same time. The Holy Spirit is omnipotent, all-powerful. And the Holy Spirit is omniscient, all-knowing. Furthermore, the Spirit performs the actions which only God can perform. For example, the Spirit, we're told, cleanses us of unrighteousness. The Spirit was involved in the creation of the world. God created the world, and we're also told the Holy Spirit created the world. When the Spirit speaks, the Bible says that God is speaking. Not only does the Spirit have the attributes of God, but the Spirit is also referred to as God interchangeably throughout the Bible. So it'll say something like, the Spirit did this, and then it'll say that God did that thing. Or that God did this, and then this, it will say that the Spirit did that same thing. In other words, it's used interchangeably. For this reason, one of the earliest Christian councils, the first council of Constantinople, met in 381 AD, and they didn't come up with the doctrine of the of the Trinity, what they did is they signed a statement which said, as leaders of the church, as Bible scholars, we all acknowledge and agree that the Bible teaches that God is triune, that he is a Trinity. What we mean when we say that God is a Trinity is this. We believe that there is one God who is eternally present in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, they are distinct persons. There's one God in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But the Son is not the Father. And the Father is not the Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Son. They are distinct persons who do different things. They have different functions, and yet they are of the same essence because together they are the one God. So what is the Spirit's role, and what is the Spirit's function? Well, there are three distinct relationships that the Holy Spirit has with different groups of people. Let me walk you through those three distinct relationships. I think this will be really helpful in helping you understand and also to read the Bible. There are three distinct relationships, and those relationships can be summarized with three prepositions. Three prepositions. You ready? The first one is with and then in, and then upon. So three prepositions, with, in, and upon. Let's walk through those. First of all, the Holy Spirit is with all people. The Holy Spirit is with all people. Now, what does that mean? In John 14, verse 17, Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit, he says, you know him because up until this point, he has been with you. He has been with you. And he told them, what is the work of the Holy Spirit with all people? Here's what it is. He says in John 16, he says that as the Holy Spirit is with all people, here's what he's doing. He's bringing about conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. In other words, the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, in every country, in every tribe, with your neighbors, with your family members, and he is whispering in people's ears, if you will, the ears of their hearts. He's speaking to their hearts about three things. The fact, number one, that they are sinners and they have fallen short of God's perfect standard. That's the first thing. He's bringing conviction that we are sinners who have fallen short of God's perfect standard. And secondly, that God is righteous. And if God is righteous and we are sinners, then that means, therefore, the third part, 
there is coming a day of judgment when we will stand before God to give account. All of us will give account for the things that we have done. Now, I want to say this. The purpose of this conviction is not just to make you feel bad about yourself, to make you feel like you're a loser and you've blown it. No, no, no. The purpose of this conviction is very positive. Let me show you why. The purpose of this conviction is to draw you to Jesus by bringing you to a realization about why you need a Savior. Listen, if you don't realize first why you need a Savior, then if I tell you that the Savior has come, you're not going to care. You know, okay, cool, I guess. I don't know why I need it, so you're not that thrilled about it. But listen, if you understand why you desperately need a Savior, then when you hear that the Savior has come, that's really good news. Okay, so the Spirit is bringing us this conviction. Why? To bring us to a realization of why we need a Savior. To drive us to Jesus so that we will embrace what Jesus has done for us in order to save us. Just this past weekend, we did this men's conference. And I talked with a, a young man who came up to me and he told me, I feel guilty. I feel guilty about the things that I've done in my life. I feel guilty about the things that I'm currently doing. I feel bad about these things and I don't know what to do about it. And he says, what do I do to get rid of this sense of guilt? And I said, first of all, let me tell you this. A lot of people, they, they, they feel that, oh, guilt is a bad thing to have. You know what I say when somebody tells me they feel guilty? I say, good. Let me explain why. I say, good. You know why? Because that pain, that pain of that guilt, then that conviction that you feel, that's a sign of life, man. That's a sign of life. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live-streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, Visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.